This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. And we've been in a new series on Sunday mornings in the epistle of 1 John. And you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 3, keep your place there. Last Sunday today we'll be in 1 John 3. Now here at the beginning I want to deal with something for just a little bit. I was asked a question about this by one of our online partners. And it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to want to rightly understand or rightly divide the word of truth for our own lives. And so an online partner, he emailed me and he asked a question about sin and sinning and confession. Now as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're to walk in the light, in the light of God, in the light of his word, we're to walk in truth and we're to walk in righteousness. We saw at the very end of 1 John chapter 2, and verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know everyone who does what is right. The NASB, the New King James are helpful here. They translate this as everyone who practices righteousness. There's a, there's a difference between practicing sin and sinful living and practicing righteousness. Everyone who does what is right or Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And as we saw last Sunday, if I'm practicing righteousness, that's going to be evidenced in the fruit of my life and the fruit of what I do. Jesus taught a good tree bears good fruit. And fruit can be seen. It is a kind of evidence. We're to practice righteousness. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, we're to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. But that is a daily thing. And you might say, Austin, man, I did a phenomenal job living by the Spirit last week and not by the flesh. Well, this week is a new week. And until we go to meet the Lord, whether he comes for us or whether we step into eternity and meet the Lord that way, when we, until we meet the Lord, this daily thing of living by the Spirit, not by the flesh, it's not going to go away. 1 John 3 and verse 6, we were here last Sunday, 1 John 3 and verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That's the issue. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin. They, they, they know better, but they continue to sin. The Holy Spirit convicts them, but they continue to sin. We're, we're not dealing with someone who just got saved last week. We're, so, we're dealing with someone that they've been to the house of God. They, they've been in church. They, they've read the word of God. They know what it says. They know better. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. The issue the issue, and this is what I was asked about. And if one person asks, other people have the same question. The issue is willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin. The issue is willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin. The issue is habitual sin. 1 John 3 and verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. If you're never convicted, 
You need to get saved. And if there's no pushing or prodding or prompting, no leading by the Spirit of God, you need to get saved. Because the Apostle Paul tells us that when we're born again, we're born of the Spirit. And even before someone receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is still at work in their life, leading them, guiding them, directing them, prompting them, convicting them, doing his best to lead us to green pastures and still waters. The issue is willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin. The issue is habitual sin. And that's what Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26, is referring to. If we deliberately, why don't we say this? Say deliberately. So you know better, but you do it anyway. The Holy Spirit's convicting you, telling you no. Stop. You know, you see the red sun. Do it anyway. If we deliberately keep on sinning, and notice you see that the language of the Bible, continual, willful, ongoing, not, not occasional, willful, continual, ongoing. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So the issue is willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin. The issue is habitual sin. And so when we sin, and again, we're to have the victory over sin. Get to that in just a second. When we sin, praise God, there is provision for sin. I said when we sin, there is, praise God, provision for sin. And that is why we're to be doers of the word. And that is why when we sin, whether in an action or a word or deed, whatever it is, when we sin, we're to confess our sins according to 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When you're born again, the moment you're born again, your sins up to that point are remitted. That means they are canceled out, wiped away as if they never happened, separated from you as far as the east is from the west. But from the moment you're born again, till we step into eternity with the Lord, we live in this world. And we're to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. But just because you're saved doesn't mean you're never going to be tempted. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're going to, you, you get off and you don't have to struggle with living by the flesh anymore. And so there will be times in your life when you sin. And what do we do? We go to the Word of God. We stand on 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us or to purify us from all unrighteousness. But what should we not have in our lives? What should we get out of our lives? What should we, you know, Jesus used the illustration of a house swept clean. What do we need to get out of our lives? And that is willful, ongoing, continual, habitual sin. And I, I don't care what anyone else has told you, you can have the victory with the help of God. You can have the victory with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Hebrews says, we, none of us in any temptation, none of us have resisted to the point of shedding blood. So no excuses you can have, you can have the victory. Now this is why what's going on today out there in the Christian world is so hurtful to the people of God. But none of this is a surprise to the Lord. If you look in your Bible at 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter prophesied that this would take place. It was a problem in his day. And this is here for us today. 2 Peter 3 verse 15. We're going to read out of the NIV. Or I'm going to go actually start with verse 14. So they're doing... Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort. So yes, we're, we're to make an effort. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him, the Lord. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom, the wisdom that God gave him. 
He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. And, you know, this is one reason why we can trust the Bible, because it is honest. Yes, God used men inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we, we see the truth of that. We see the reality of that. Paul was an educated man. Peter was a fisherman. I always envision the guys on deadliest catch. A rough group of guys. Hardworking, not uh, fancy English, fancy language. And so Peter honestly says, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own, what word does he use? Their own destruction. See, there are several lies out there. One of the lies is that, you know, once you're saved, man, you're, you're good, you're covered. You just live however you want. Got your get out of hell free card. Just live your life. And grace is presented as a license, as a covering for sin. There's a lie that's similar, but it, it's different. And ministers are teaching that once you're saved, sins are washed away. But they're teaching that from that point forward, you never again need to confess your sins. You never again need to repent of your sins. And that's one reason why they don't like Hebrews. They don't like James. They don't like 1 John, because 1 John clearly tells us that when we sin, what are we to do? We're to confess our sins. What happens? He is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, anyone that's married and has a good marriage understands this. You know, if you hurt your wife's feelings, and it's obvious you have hurt her feelings, you know she's waiting for you to ask her forgiveness. You know that she's waiting for an apology. But what are you going to tell her? Well, I, I saw on Christian TV that I no longer need to confess my sins. Well, you're going to get a right fist to the face. Or maybe, a, you know, Emily loves tangled. Maybe, maybe a frying pan to the head. But see, Peter said that people twist and distort to their own destruction. It messes them up. It messes up their lives. It messes them up in living the life that God would have them live. Now, real quick, look over at Romans. And I, I want you to see this, and it'll help you get the victory. Because our Heavenly Father wants us to have the victory. Amen? And you may have been struggling with something, but God wants you to have the victory. Now, if you look real quick at Romans 8 and verse 1, it says, Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. That's wonderful. But a minister can do great damage when they take a verse and they, they, they go miles with it and they don't deal with the context that it's written in. Chapters and verses were added later. Later, excuse me. Chapters, verse numbers were added later for church use. The letters are letters, and they're meant to be read from start to finish. Now look back at chapter 6. And at the very end of chapter 5, Paul writes, where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He uses the example of crucifixion which in that day everyone understood. When the Romans crucified someone, they were dead, which made the resurrection of Christ so amazing, so world-changing. And so Paul uses that example that the old you has been crucified with Christ. And then he uses the example this way, that we're to crucify the flesh or we're to crucify the sinful nature. Look down at verse 11. In the same way, count, consider, reckon, Act as if, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore do not let, don't permit, 
don't allow, which means you have to do something. You know, Jesus talked about if your eye causes you to sin. So in our lives, we've got to get out of our lives anything that is displeasing to God. We've got to get out of our lives anything that is a, a hindrance. We've got to get out of our lives anything that might lead us astray. And that could be a thing. That could be something on your TV. That, that could be even a wrong relationship. Someone from the past or a friend encouraging you to not do what's right. Therefore, do not let, don't permit, don't allow sin to reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. There's another example. Praise God, Brother Austin. I'm not in law, I'm not under grace. That's true, but you've got to live the life. That's true, but you also got to do what the Apostle Paul says and not let sin reign in your life, which you can do with the help of God, which you can do with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to deal with this further. Now go, go back over to chapter 8. And just as he says in Galatians, Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So we've been set free. We've been saved. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. We've been delivered. We have the victory. We're to live a life of victory. And so we're not to give in to sin. We're not to give in to temptation. Where we're not to live and struggle with ongoing, willful, unrepentant sin. You can have the victory. You can have the victory. And you can walk in victory over anything. But you go back to chapter 6. Do not let, don't permit, don't allow sin to reign. So you have a part to play. And you look at the end of verse 4 who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So we have a part to play, and you can read about that in Galatians 5. We're to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And then Paul gives a list that those who gratify the desires of the sinful nature, what is that? Willful, ongoing, unrepentant, habitual sin, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't, don't embrace the lie that you prayed a prayer but you're, you're just supposed to struggle day after day with the same things till you go to meet the Lord. And then don't believe the other lie that says, man, but you're good. You just live however you want and you don't need to confess nothing. You don't need to repent of nothing. That will lead you to your own, as Peter says, destruction. And I, I want to say some things to encourage you. And again, I could tell that by this email this question I got this brother needed encouragement and so we're going to deal with this in 1 John 3 so when we sin how do we handle it we handle it according to the word of God 1 John 1 9 we confess it and he is faithful he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but, but don't head back down that road and if you got to delete some contacts off your phone Delete the contacts. You got to delete some apps, delete the apps. You got to go home. Yeah, and everything now is digital. But if you got to go home and throw out CDs and throw out movies or whatever it is, throw out anything that is a hindrance. And if you can't be friends with someone without it being a problem or a hindrance, well, love them from a distance. What, it, what is most important is you being right with God. What is most important is you being who your family needs you to be for your husband or wife and for your children, the body of Christ. Now, there, there's going to be some things that'll help you with this in your understanding in 1 John 3. Soon we'll learn in 1 John 5 and verse 3 that God's commands are not burdensome. Every, every command, it's for our good and it's for our benefit. And God gave us every command because he loves us. And every covenant in the word of God, God's covenant with Noah, God's covenant with Abraham, 
the old covenant, the new covenant. Every covenant was a covenant of love. And as we've been learning, the love command, when we talk about love, we're talking about the God kind of love, not gushy, sentimental love based on feelings or the flesh. Just saw we're to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh, but the love of God, a selfless love. The love command of the New Testament can be found in the Old Testament. And as we saw in 1 John 2, that's why John calls it both old and new. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He, he answered the question from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. And you might say from Leviticus, yes, from Leviticus. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37, Jesus replied, and here he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And going back to Romans 6 and Romans 8, if I love the Lord, I'm going to offer my life to him. In every part of my life, I'm going to offer my life to him to do good, to do what's righteous, to do what is pleasing to God. In Romans 12, Paul talks about offering the entirety of our lives as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God. And when he writes to the church at Corinth, he talks about gold and silver and wood, hay and strubble. And he talks about how there are vessels for different purposes, but then Paul says that you can cleanse yourself and be a vessel fit for God's use for greater purposes. And I rehearsed some church history last Sunday, and that's really what I was rehearsing. Young men cleansing themselves being willing to stand apart and being willing to be used of God for noble purposes. There's a great example at the beginning of Daniel chapter 1. Young Jewish men in a foreign land, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and them saying, you know what, we're, we're going to live righteously in this situation, and we're going to obey the law of our God in this situation. So Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. And here he quotes from Leviticus, from Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Next week we'll see in 1 John 4.8 that God is love. God is love in every one of his covenants. It is a love covenant. From the beginning, our Heavenly Father has loved us. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can be a part of His family. And we can fellowship with Him. The second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what we'll see here in the second half of John, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, look down at verse 11. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. So something both old and new. How, how is it new? Because we see it perfected. We see its perfection. We see its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He's the example. He's the standard. And it's all because of him. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And as Jesus said, this law sums it all up. It sums up. The Word of God, it sums up the prophets. It fulfills everything. We should love one another. Now, with what kind of love? Not, not sensual love like worldly love. Not, not fleshly love. When, when you say the word love, people think of gushy, ooey-gooey, sentimentality. Yet there are men, and they'll, they'll tell their wife they love her, and then they'll cheat on her. That, that's not the love of God. Love here is the agape love of God, love like God, which is a selfless love. Charles Finney, one of the great preachers in American history to find agape love this way, to will and to act toward the highest good of the other. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. You read the Sermon on the Mount carefully, Jesus dealt with this. He dealt with not just murder, but also anger. He dealt not just with murder and anger, but, but how we treat our brothers in Christ and our words towards our brothers in Christ and our, our being angry with brothers in Christ. And Jesus dealt with it being a hindrance. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And here the example is actual murder. But it's amazing how people murder with their actions. They murder with their tongue. They murder with how they speak of others. And so you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus dealt with how we treat our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And they're not being angry. And they're not being hurtful, mean, slanderous, murderous words. And again, dealing with actual murder, why, why, why did Cain murder his brother? John tells us because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And in your Bible, you can read about that this week in Genesis chapter 4. Two brothers, besides parents, they had the world to themselves. Enough room for everybody. But Cain was envious. He was jealous of his brother. And he was envious and he was jealous of God's favor upon his brother's life. You read Genesis chapter 4, you find out that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock to the Lord. The Bible says that God looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but he did not look with favor on Cain and his offering. And so Cain was angry, and Cain purposed in his heart to murder, to murder his brother. But Father God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you, but you must master it. Now, isn't that amazing? Before Abraham ever lived, before Moses ever lived, before anyone was ever inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the words of Scripture, before the Old Covenant, before the New Covenant, before the coming of Jesus Christ, before the infilling of the Holy Spirit, without any of that, Father God told Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you, but you must master it. So tell your neighbor, say, we can live a life of victory. Tell your other neighbor, say, we can live a life of victory. We, we've got everything that Jesus did for us. We, we have not just the, the fact that we're born of the Spirit. We, we have because of what Jesus did for us and our being born again. We have the opportunity to be a vessel for God to indwell by the Holy Spirit. We have the entirety of his revelation so we can have the victory and we can live in victory over anything. Sin desires to master you, but you must master it. Now, we're, we're going to get to something that'll be helpful, I think, for you in doing that. So why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. There's also no excuse for ignorance. We've got God's word. And so you might say, Austin, I need to know more about faith, or I need to know more about healing, or I need to know more about the blessing of the Lord and handling my finances. We, we have the entirety of God's word available to us. We have all this technology available to us. You don't even have to wait for a book to be shipped in the mail to come to your house. You can get on Amazon, get the digital version. You can be reading it this afternoon. There's no excuse for any ignorance about 
anything. I love what the Bible says about Enoch, that he, he walked with God and he talked with God and he was no more for God took him to be with him. I love that. Abel, even though he had no word, even though it was there at the beginning, Abel also demonstrated great revelation, great understanding, great insight. He brought God what was fat. He brought God what was first. And it was the first, the fat portions of his flock. And it's amazing how holy men of old understood things that were to come. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So Abel had some understanding and Abel had some insight and Abel had some favor. And so Cain was jealous and Cain was envious and Cain murdered him. Verse 13, don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Jesus told them in the Gospels, the world hated me. So guess what? No surprise, the world's going to hate us. And I, I know none of us ever wakes up and thinks, man, it would be great if someone would just hate on me today. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm between my dad and my mom, you know. I, I want people to like me. I want people to have a, have a good opinion. But Jesus and John are clear that the world hated Jesus. The world is going to hate us. You know, and the new thing is being an influencer. And the new thing is being popular. And the new thing is being seen as cool by the world. If you're, you're going to live for God in the last days, you got to set all of that aside. Because if we're going to live for him and stand with him and stand with his word, we're going to be disliked. We're going to be hated, and we just have to stand tall and stand strong and not care what the world thinks about us. Amen. And you notice, you notice when they try to cancel someone, that's the new thing, canceling people. When they try to cancel someone, for whatever the reason is, when, when people try to head down the road of making people happy, it's never good enough. You can't make the world happy. You can't please the world, but you can please God. How do you do that? Well, we find out in Hebrews, it's by living a life of faith. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. So what's evidence that we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior? That we love, that we walk in love. What, what's fruit that we truly know Jesus? What is fruit that we've truly been saved, we've truly been born again? We, we love and we walk in love and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So just like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, John, doesn't just refer to the actual physical act of murder. John also refers to the root, which is anger, but also another root, which is hatred. You read the Sermon on the Mount, honestly, you'll see Je Jesus didn't lower the standards. Jesus raised the standards. Jesus, as an example, dealt even with our thought life. So you might, you might say, well, you know, I'm good. I've never murdered anyone. Well, do you hate someone? Is there anger and is there hate or hatred in your heart or in your life? Anyone who hates his brother, is there someone you're trying to hurt? Is there someone you're trying to hinder? Is there someone you're trying to sabotage? And no, you might not have a knife, you might not have a, have a gun, but have you tried to murder someone with your words? Have you tried to murder someone with your tongue? Or now, you know, the new thing, they call them keyboard warriors. Have you, have you tried to murder someone, their life, their, their business, their reputation, their, their livelihood with your anger and your hate online? Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. 
and you know no murderer has eternal life in him. If we know the Lord can act that way, can't behave that way, can't talk that way, we're called to a higher standard because we represent the Lord. This is how we know what love is. So again, the example, the standard is Jesus Christ. This is how we know what love is, agape love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. I began with living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. See, your flesh might want to do certain things. Your flesh might want to head down certain roads, but you've been called to a higher way of life. Jesus gave his life for you. As the Bible says, your life is no longer your own. God is counting on you. The kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the church is counting on you. Your family, your, your husband or wife, your, your children are counting on you. So that has to factor into what we do and what we don't do. It has to factor into what we do, and we are to lay down our lives. That's what love is. And that's why Charles Finney's definition is so great, to will and act toward the highest good of the other. If a man loves his wife and loves his children, the man's going to go to work. If a man loves his wife and children, he might be tempted to do this or that, but he's not going to if he loves his wife and children. He lays down his life. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. To be a help, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be the hands, the feet of Jesus. Jesus taught in the Gospels that whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him. And John then gives us an example very much like James in his epistle. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's why we're always saying we're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And James gives a similar example. If you see someone in need of clothing or in need of food, if you say, I hope it works out well for you. Well, James says, what good is that? And he says, faith without action is dead. And here John tells us that this is a matter of love. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? The first service, my father told a story from years ago about a lady that she had been done wrong and then she faced a challenge in her body. But, you know, without us even having to say or do anything, men in the church came together to be a blessing to her and to cover her rent and to cover her food and to cover her groceries. And that was all taken care of until she went to be with the Lord. That's the body of Christ. And what, what is the motive? The motive is love. You go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and the, the spiritual gifts, but in between chapter 13, the motive for everything, even for us having church and what goes on in the services, it has to be the motive of love. Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So we know what someone really believes. We know what some is really in someone's heart by what they do. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, this is how I want to encourage you today. And it's why I began with the question that I was asked about sin and confession and the problem of ongoing sin. None of us is perfect. As Paul tells us, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we aim for perfection. Yes, we strive to walk in the light and in truth and in righteousness. Yes, we aspire to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind, to do our best, to give him our best. But no, we are not perfect in that. We err, we sin, we make mistakes, we fall short, and the result is our hearts condemn us. So what is the remedy? What is the remedy for your heart condemning you? The remedy is walking in love. 
Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. How? Let us not love with words or truth or with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. How do you set your heart at rest? How do you come to the place where there's resolution for your heart condemning you? It is by walking in love. So maybe you spoke harshly. Maybe you spoke with anger. Maybe you shouldn't have handled the situation the way you should have. Maybe you dwelled on that for too long. Well, you've confessed it according to 1 John 1, 9, but, but you still, you know, Satan's right there whispering, not perfect, not, not good enough, not, not worthy, don't deserve the blessings of the Lord. How do you set your heart at rest? By moving forward in faith and by walking in love. By walking in love. By walking in love today, by walking in love Monday, by walking in love Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, by walking in love. Love, forgive, be kind, be gracious. As Jesus taught, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Forgive if you want to be forgiven. If you don't want to be judged, don't judge. If you want to receive mercy, show mercy. Maybe you're not the only one having a bad day. Maybe they're having a bad day. Show some mercy. Love, forgive, be kind, be gracious. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We err, we sin, we make mistakes. All of us come from the background we come from. All of us are seeking the mastery and the victory over different things. You know, maybe you grew up in a home where anger was displayed. And so in your life, you got to keep the victory over anger. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And praise God for his provision. Praise God for his forgiveness. Praise God we can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say, Austin, I, I, I got all of this that Satan sang. My heart is not at rest. What is the remedy? Walking in love. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest. If you want your heart to be at rest in the Lord, walk in love. How we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. You want your heart to be at rest? You want to get past the condemnation? Because the Apostle Paul tells us, therefore, there is now what? No condemnation in Christ Jesus. How do you make that yours? How do you know it? How do you live it? How do you walk in it? By walking in love. Love is the way. This then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So to have confidence before God and to set your heart at rest, you gotta walk in love. And this has everything to do with a successful life of faith. This has everything to do with answered prayer. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, how do you set your heart at rest? By walking in love. You might say, Austin, I, in my life, it seems that certain things have gone unanswered. The Bible says little foxes spoil the vine. Maybe you've made all these other things the main thing when you've not realized the main thing is walking in love because that command sums up every other command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you set your heart at rest? By walking in love. 
How do you come to the place where your heart doesn't condemn you? By walking in love. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. How can I have confidence? Because I'm walking in love. How can I have confidence? Because I love the Lord, and I love Jessica, and I love our children, and I love my family, I love my parents, I love our church family, I love y'all, and I'm walking in love. If our hearts do not condemn us. You might say, Austin, my heart's condemned. Walk in love. Walk in love. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. You might say, Austin, well, I'm doing that and I'm not being answered and I'm obeying. What is the command? See, you, you've, you've gotten all your focus on this or that and you've, you've dotted the I, you've checked, you crossed the T, you marked the box, but you haven't walked in the thing that matters most and that is walking in love. Walk in love, walk in love, walk in love, walk in love. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because he obeys his commands and do what pleases him. Remember, the command is the love command. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. That's the command. This is the command, to believe and to walk in love to believe and to love. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. See, how, how can we walk with the spirit and how can we be led by the spirit and how can we live a life where we do not grieve the spirit? It is by walking in love. This is the command, to believe and to love. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and you say, Austin, I've heard about the goodness of God. I've heard about us being a part of the family of God. I've heard about us loving and loving God and loving our neighbor and, and walking in love. But you've not yet done the thing that comes before that. It's the thing that makes it all possible. And that is to believe, to believe and then to love. To love, you must first believe. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he gave his life for you so you could be a part of the family of God. He gave his life for you so you could have God as your father, so you could be a part of the family of God, so you could live this life, not on your own, not, not, not alone, but you could live this life for God and with God and with God working through you in everything. And it's all because of love. He laid down his life for us. And the Bible says this is for everyone. The Bible says whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You might be here today and never done that, but say, Austin, I want to. I want to be a part of the family of God. I want to ask Jesus into my heart and into my life. I want to do what John says. I, I, I want to believe. I want to profess that. I want to declare publicly my belief in Jesus, that he is my Lord and he is my Savior. If you're here today and say, Austin, I've never done that, but I want to. I want to ask Jesus into my heart, into my life. That's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, raise it up high so I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. you might be here today at a time in your life you pray to prayer, you walked an aisle, but you've not been living for God. And maybe at the root of all of it is you have lived for yourself. You haven't lived for God. You haven't lived for others. You haven't lived for your family. You have not 
walked in love. And so you've paid the price. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. So we, as I rehearse to you today, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need to do that today, make things right with God before you leave the service today. If that's you, raise your hand wherever you're seated so I'll know you want to pray with me. So Austin, pray with me. I want to recommit my life. Might be watching, listening online now or later. Say, Austin, pray with me. Repeat this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins and I give you my life. I believe that Jesus was born on my behalf. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he paid the price I deserve to pay. I believe that he died on my behalf. And I believe he raised him from the dead. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I will live for you. Thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. In Jesus' name. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray of everyone here today, anyone watching or listening online, anyone that desires to be set free, I ask you, Heavenly Father, to set them free by the power of your Spirit. Set them free from that continual, habitual sin that has held them in bondage. Be free now in Jesus' name. And we plead the blood of Jesus over them, over their life, over their home, over their family, over their body. In Jesus' name. We're to have the victory. We're, we're to live a life of victory. We're to live a life of faith. We're to live a life of blessing. But what is the engine that powers it all? It is walking in love. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Paul said elsewhere, what counts is faith expressing itself through love. You might say, Austin, I, I'm believing God for this or that, or I, I'm trying to get there. Walk in love this week and see what happens. Double down, triple down on walking in love and just watch what happens in your life. Amen.